together again. We had a special event this weekend here on campus in our parking lot. We've never done this before, but it was a drive-through prayer time. And even in the rain, uh, so many people showed up, continuous cars for a couple of hours. Of course, social distancing and masks. Underneath those masks, a lot of smiles. And it's the most people I've seen from our church family in about three months. And a lot of people shared how difficult this time has been. And we need to be honest with each other about that. And then also, I just stood back from today and, and really what, what God has been doing the last three months and reflecting on that. And what I heard from so many people in our gathering this weekend is they continue to seek Jesus and walk with him, that families are spending more time together, uh, time in God's word and in prayer. A lot of people going deep with the Lord during this time, stories of people loving their neighbors. And then also the connection we have through digital media ministry right now. It's all we really have because we're not here on campus yet, but people sharing it and our church growing and lives being changed. It just reminds me God is always building up people, reaching more people, building up his kingdom every single day, even in the middle of a crisis. And my cup was filled because there's so much love in those conversations. There's so much love in our church family. And uh, it was just so good. A lot of shed tears, but so good to see each other and a lot of joy today. Uh, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And if you're watching and you say, well, I'm not even part of this family, uh, we welcome you. We welcome you with open arms, open doors. And uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're taking time to walk with us today as well. Now, uh, when we look around, we know this is a tense time. A lot of sad things happening in our country. And I just want to take a minute to highlight this, that for our church, we are completely against racism. Against racism in every form, uh, personal, systematic. And the reason we are is because God's against racism. And it's so clear in the Bible. And we think about Jesus and how the gospel and Jesus are diametrically opposed to racism and against all forms of racism. And we want to tackle injustice like Jesus tackled injustice. So we are against racism. And what are we for? We are for kindness honor, equality, love. We want to live this out together. So, well, where do we start right now? And we need to be listening to each other, understanding. We need to forgive. We need to repent. We need to uh, grow in our levels of honesty and depth in our conversations. We need to learn. And we want to be part of a meaningful change, not just in the sound, but we want to see this around the nation. The desired that we have for the country right now with a lot of division, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. We need a lot of healing. And ultimately, this is all pointing us to Jesus. We need Jesus right now in America in so many ways. And he is the one who heals deep wounds. He is the one who brings hope. He is the one who restores relationship. He is the one who helps us to really love each other and love our neighbor well. And let's uh, continue to draw close to the Lord and let him take over in our lives. Maybe there's some dark areas. And let him take over in terms of forgiveness, grace, understanding, and what we need in our relationships right now. It was on my heart to share that. Uh, we're going to dive into the text right now as well. But let's keep praying. Let's keep seeking Jesus. Let's love our neighbors. Let's see incredible change that we desire in this generation. Let's not be passive and wait. And let's do it together as family. 
We're in Luke chapter 9, this series that is all about Jesus. Again, giving our attention to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for this time. We thank you for your presence with us. Jesus, we thank you that there's no limit to your love and your grace and your power. And Lord, thank you for the peace that you give us in all circumstances, even guarding our hearts and our mind. God, and we pray for our country. We pray for unity. We pray for honor. We pray for restoration right now. We pray for wisdom for leaders. We pray that we'd humble ourselves with each other. We'd forgive. We pray we'd return to you with all of our heart, Lord. We ask you to do this. We can't do it. We see the struggles. We see the pain. We see the injustice. God, we're asking you to do miraculous things in our land for your glory as we turn to you together. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the Bible, there are 66 books, and four of the books are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books focus on the life of Jesus and who he is, all that he's said, all that he's done, and his greatness. And in those four Gospels, there's only two miracles that appear in all four Gospels. This is starting to sound like Bible trivia, I know, but those two miracles, one of them is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our faith is centered around that miracle. If there's no resurrection, we've got no Christianity. We've got no uh, hope for eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus, it's in all four Gospels. The other miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. And it tells us that this is a very powerful miracle. This is a very significant miracle on many different levels. And life is all about Jesus. And this is a miracle that speaks to the nourishment Jesus brings, to the satisfaction to our souls that Jesus brings. And through this miracle of provision of bread and fish, we're going to turn to the Savior, the only Messiah. He's unrivaled. And we're going to focus on who he is in our relationship with him. The progression through this story and this miracle involves three truths that I want to highlight that are very relevant to our lives today. The first truth, people are hungry both physically and spiritually. People are hungry today physically and spiritually. Let's take a look starting in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Let's take a look at this text with a few observations. First of all, Jesus is with the disciples and they're on mission. Jesus is always on mission. The disciples are always on mission. And you and I are on mission 24-7. There's a calling on your life. There's purpose. You have assignments. And uh, we, are, we celebrate this privilege that we can walk with Jesus, serve Jesus, glorify Jesus, and be on mission together. Now, part of this mission with Jesus the disciples withdrew. They withdrew from the crowds. They withdrew often. Now, why would you do that if you're on mission? Well, because we get tired. Sometimes we need a break. We need refreshment. We need rest. But even more importantly, Jesus would connect with the Father. It was a time of prayer. And it was a time of listening and alignment with heaven. I encourage you, because we've had a lot of pulling back from our normals and our routines, to take advantage of this time 
to listen to God, to pray, to be still, and be in alignment with heaven. That's been an important part of my life the last three months, going deeper with the Lord, alignment with heaven. Say it's been true of our family as well. Thinking through, praying through, are we in alignment with God? In our church as well, honing in. Where is God leading us? What does God want us to do during this time? All of us need to do that. Stop, check in with the Lord. Pull back from the demands and the noise and be in alignment. Abide and respond, trusting God together. Even though they withdrew, here comes the crowds. Isn't that the case that the crowds, the people, the needs have a way of just keep coming and coming and coming? Sometimes it gets overwhelming, doesn't it? Think about your job. You, you think it's going to be this much, but then it turns into this much. Or maybe you're in ministry and you take on a role and then it ends up being incredibly demanding. I know this about being in ministry is you can't just put it in a box. It's not just eight to five, check in, check out. All right, done, Monday through Friday. It's not like that with ministry. Uh, maybe if you're a parent, you just want a break. You just want to grab your favorite cookie or ice cream, find your favorite chair and just take a break for about 10, 20 minutes. And then the kids come knocking on the door. Oh, 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 I got one more. I got one more. I got one more. That's how Jesus lived. It was just continually more needs, people, demands. And then look at the response though. Jesus has a heart that's warm, the warmth, the hospitality. He's not just people pleasing. This is about the kingdom of God. In fact, he highlights the kingdom of God. Very important phrase that we read in the gospels that Jesus keeps talking about, the kingdom of God. What is this kingdom? It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that had arrived that was here with Jesus. Why? Because he's the king. The king has arrived and now they can have a taste of the kingdom. How good Jesus is. How great his kingdom is. And yet still waiting for that final fulfillment, consummation, ultimate kingdom, spiritual kingdom that's eternal. It's right now and it's eternal and something to look forward to. And every day God's kingdom grows. Jesus was preaching, teaching, and healing. Those three, preaching, teaching, and healing, building up people, building up the kingdom. And with that, there's revival. There's amazing healing. There's transformed lives. And all this is happening. Disciples are watching it. And they've seen God do great things with them. But then they shift into practical mode. And isn't it interesting how there's the spiritual, sometimes what we call spiritual, but of course everything's spiritual. And then there's a little more practical thinking. And some people are bent a little more on the spiritual language. And some people are thinking about the practical. And the disciples are like, hold on, hold on. The church was great today. Love the healings. Teaching's changing my life. Revival's powerful. But Jesus, can we just talk practical for a minute here? I mean, these people are hungry and they need a place to stay because their stomachs are empty. Their eyes are going to be getting heavy and they don't have any food and lodging. So Jesus, we need to think about this too in the ministry. And they bring up the practical because there's a crisis. There's a lack. And with that, greatest opportunity. Don't miss this. When there's a crisis, there's an incredible opportunity. The greater the crisis the greater the opportunity. The lack that you see is just the setup for what God is going to do. Right now, there's a lot of different things about the crisis we're in. I firmly believe this is our greatest opportunity. As followers of Jesus in the last 10 years, we've never had an opportunity like this to pray, to love our neighbors, to shine the light of Jesus, to be generous, to serve, to lead people to Jesus. I believe this is the greatest opportunity we've seen 
in over 10 years, maybe more than that. And the disciples, that's new. Wait a second, I was only thinking lack. I was only thinking crisis. No, you got to think about Jesus and what he wants to do in the middle of the crisis. People have two appetites in this passage. There's a physical appetite and a spiritual appetite. Let's think about the physical appetite for a minute. I don't know about you, but our, our food supply just seems to be disappearing faster. I don't know if there's a lack of some other hobbies, but it's just like eating, eating, eating. Uh, who doesn't enjoy eating? Well, here's a, a playful way to look at that eating as we think about fitness. Yeah, I'm into fitness. Fitness, whole pizza in my mouth. That's the fitness I'm talking about. Hungry. Have you ever been hungry like that dog's hungry? I, mean, I don't need to go for a run. I need a pizza right about now. Uh, that kind of hunger. That's what they had. They were so hungry in this passage. You're like, oh, I'll eat the whole pizza. Just bring me the whole thing. You don't even need to cut it up. I'll just take it. I'll eat it. And then there's hangry. You know that word when people get hungry? Sometimes they get a little bit uh, ornery or ornery, as they say in the South. Kind of hangry. Like I'm, I'm kind of, these people might be getting a little hangry right now and they want something to eat physically. They've got an appetite and God knows about appetites. God cares about our bodies. God cares about our souls. He cares about both. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet, Elisha, and a man came to him and said, how are we going to feed a hundred hungry men? And Elisha took what the man had, and then there was a multiplication, a miracle, foreshadowing of Jesus, and 2 Kings chapter 4, and again, you see what God can do, and the miracle of provision. Well, you fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus feeds the 4,000, incredible miracle. He cares about the body and the soul. He now is going to feed the 5,000. He cares about the body and the soul. And ultimately, it's not about food, but it's about who he is, relationship with him, and how he can truly satisfy you in the deepest ways. These are pictures of who he is and what he's doing. And God cares about our physical needs. It's so important to say that. You know, in our church, again this year, and it's actually this week, through our partnership with World Vision, we have over 75 people have signed up and we had to pivot because it was going to be marathon, downtown Seattle, rock and roll marathon. But instead, that event was canceled. Now it's virtual. And this is how it's going to play out. Seven days, 6K every day. Seven days, 6K. 42K. That's 26.2 miles. I haven't done the calculations. That's what I'm told. And I'm believing it by faith. 26.2. That's a marathon. I'll tell you this. If I'm going to do a marathon, I'd much rather do it over seven days than try to just squeeze it into one. So this is a good thing. It's stretched out over the next seven days. What's all this running about? Uh, this is what it's about. For every $50 raised, one child will have clean water for life. Think about all the children around the world who don't have clean water. Every $50, one more child has clean water for life. Glory to Jesus. We care about physical needs here at Grace. I was thinking about some of our other partnerships, Auburn Food Bank. Here's a picture right here, Pastor Rick going down to Auburn Food Bank, Debbie Christian, and the partnership we have, the collaboration to make sure that people in Auburn have food. And Pastor Rick was taking a check down there. But you're, that's what you're doing. As you give to Grace, you're supplying for people in Auburn. And we care about people in Auburn. We want to make sure everyone has food locally, globally, clean water. Let's continue to do this together. Why? Because that's that's what Jesus is all about, making sure physical needs are met. But there's also spiritual needs that we have that are extremely real. They're deep. These people have traveled a long, long way to hear Jesus, to connect, to seek him, and to draw close to him. They've traveled a long ways. They are spiritually hungry. 
Imagine if you had to travel five hours to get to church. Would you do that? Now, right now, a lot of people would because we miss each other. But what if every week you just, all right, five hours to drive to church, I'm there, I'm there. You know, our hunger for God, it can look like fasting. We're fasting on Tuesdays now together as a church family. Pick a meal. Let's fast and seek God. It can be through prayer. It can be through worship. It can be through coming to church. Like, why do we even have church? It's so we can draw close to Jesus and do that together. They had a spiritual hunger that was only going to be satisfied through Jesus Christ. And they traveled a long way. And uh, this is how God works. We see it over and over in the Bible. God will take people who are hungry, physically and spiritually, and then he'll bring them, he'll guide other people, connect them together so that needs are met, and it's his provision, it's his plan. And God will use you to meet people's physical needs, and God wants to use you to meet people's spiritual needs. It's both and, and it's every day on mission. I think back to the Apostle Paul. Now we say the Apostle Paul, you know, wrote 13 letters, uh, different books in the Bible. Uh, one of the, you know, missionaries that stands out, one of the leaders, the Apostle. Well, he was once Saul of Tarsus. And in Acts chapter 9, you read a story and you actually read it three times in the book of Acts. I think chapter 22 and 26. So check out his story. But there was a dramatic turnaround. People were afraid. His name was Saul. People were afraid of Saul because he killed Christians. He was violent. And then he had an experience, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it changed his life. And now, right after that experience, he's there in a place called State Street. And God is going to tap one of his followers on the shoulder, Ananias. And let's check out from Acts chapter 9 what the Bible says. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, that's Saul, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. That's the word from the Lord, go. To the one who's hungry, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God had a plan for Saul's life, a destiny, Ananias was invited in. You will be invited in to serve people, and God has a plan and a destiny for them. And it's a privilege when you get invited in to meet their physical and spiritual needs. And Ananias in his heart was saying, no, no, not this man. This man's violent. No, 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 not this role, not the one who's going to baptize him, not the one who's going to help him grow in his faith. No, and Ananias is saying, no, not now, not this man, not this role, not now. Have you ever done that with the Lord? <laughs> God says, this one has your name on it. And you're like, not that role, not for that person, not now. And yet, as it plays out, Paul's going to be baptized. Paul's going to receive physical food, strengthen him, physical food. His, his eyes are going to be opened, and he's going to start to follow Jesus. And Ananias looks back. I guarantee you Ananias looks back in his life, and he's going to say, I can't think of, wow, nothing better that day, nothing better that week, nothing better that year. Isn't it ironic that the things we say, no, Lord, not that role, not now, not me, no, not that person. I don't want to go help. I'm scared. I'm and they turn out to be the very best things we've ever done. Why? God does his greatest work in the middle of a crisis. And God wants to help us look out for people because he loves them so much who are physically and spiritually hungry. 
And you know what? We're physically and spiritually hungry, and God sends people to us. We need to give and receive. And remember that that crisis, it's, it's just a setup often for God's greatest work. That's our first truth. Physically and spiritually hungry. So many people. And yet here comes the reality check. The second truth. We often run out of resources. <laughs> Don't we though? We often run out of resources. We feel like we're on empty. Look at verse 13. He replied, Jesus replied to the disciples with them, you give them something to eat. Now that's the challenge. They only have five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus says to them, you Give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. And as you think through uh, that experience of running out, have you felt like you're running on empty, running out? Uh, maybe there was excitement about what Jesus was doing. There's excitement about the crowd that's around and now running out. I was thinking about Zoom. There was excitement uh, that we can still meet as life groups. There's excitement. We're on Zoom together so often. And check out this picture right here. First Zoom meeting. Oh yeah, that's it. This is going real well. Feel good about this. Kicking back, dressed up. Let's do this. What happens after the 100th Zoom meeting? That's just a whole nother deal right there. And we get Zoom fatigue, don't we? It's like this great new resource, Zoom. You know what happened to me recently? People said, oh, you want to meet up on Zoom? I'm like, no, just call me. Just call me. My eyes need a break from that screen right now. Just call me instead. And that's the progression a lot of times. We're excited. God's doing great things. And then we're just starting to run out, run out of resources. And we feel it. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. There's tension there because they know what Jesus says and yet they know what they don't have. They only have five loaves of bread, two fish. No way that's going to feed 5,000. And 5,000 was men. <laughs> then there's women and children, probably over 10,000. They're thinking there's no way. There's tension right there. And we feel the tension. Why? Because don't we run out of patience? We run out of self-control we run out of love, we run out of resources, we run out of wisdom, and we know that feeling when God's calling us to something, but inside we're like, we are running out. And they overlook their greatest resource. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And it's not registering. They're not remembering. Their greatest resource, prayer, prayer. Their greatest resource, Jesus it's all here, but they're only thinking about what they don't have, what they do have. They're only thinking about the circumstances. They're only thinking about the needs, and they're going to come up with, in their eyes, is the only solution. Uh, because we have only, and, and that's a scarcity mindset. We only have, those three words, scarcity mindset, right? We only have Instead of an abundance mindset, instead of trusting and seeing the greatness of Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread, two fish. So the only way this could happen is if we go and buy food for everybody. But they know as they say it, there's no place around to buy food. They would have to travel so far out that it would be irrelevant by the time they even got there. And who knows how much money they had. That'd probably be another challenge. If you're going to feed 10,000, that's a lot of money. But uh, they're thinking the only way, and that's the best solution they can come up with. 
That's the solution they're sticking with. The only solution is if we go and buy food. Have you ever had a moment with God where your solution was not his solution? Do you ever rush ahead of God and say, oh, here's my solution. I think I've got it figured out. This is the way I want to do it. This makes sense to me. I'm going my way. And the whole time, God is like, your solution is not my solution. Your solution is not my solution. And that's a moment where we really get to grow in our faith. That's a moment where we get to repent. That's a moment we discover how great Jesus is. God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. Isn't it interesting as we listen to Christians' testimony and all the social anxiety and fearing people and the despair that came along with it? And yet, what did God use? That he would be involved with square dancing and God would use that instrument to help him break through with some victories in terms of shyness and fearing people. And look what God did. Who would have ever thought of that solution? In your life, there's going to be solutions God comes up with and they're not even on your radar. They're not what you've been thinking about, but they're God's solutions and they're good. And we got to listen to God and to trust Jesus. And the solution here uh, is far greater than their solution or their opinion. Their, opi- their opinion is the only way we can do it is to buy food. I remember the first time I was a senior pastor. This was back in California. And this was something I never learned in seminary, but my assistant was in her 60s and had a lot of wisdom and ministry experience. And she said to me, because there was a lot of opinions flying about this topic, a certain topic at the time, and she turned to me and said, you know what? Opinions are kind of like armpits. We all have them, and there's a lot of them that really stink. And I was like, whoa, did not hear that in seminary, but that'll preach. I'm holding on to that. Opinions are like armpits. We all have them, and a whole bunch of them really stink. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. Well, there's a lot of opinions flying around, and, you know, opinions and solutions, they didn't match up with Jesus' solution, and that's all that matters. We have opinions, but none of us have a universe, right? God has opinions and solutions, and he has a universe. So let's trust the Lord. Trusting Jesus is the turning point of this story. Trusting Jesus is the turning point of our lives, transformed. Trusting Jesus, that he is the truth. That means we can rely on him. He is the way. The way is, yes, directional, but it's also relational, and that he is the life. He is the one who brings not only eternal life, but abundant life. A pivot right now would be to trust the Lord. The trusting of Jesus is the turning point in this story. And when we listen to Jesus and trust him, we're going to lead people to him as well. I want to say this from my heart. Stay out of the flesh. In the Bible, there's trusting Jesus and then there's the flesh. And three months into this crisis right now, it is so easy to be in the flesh, way more than we even realize. It is so easy to stay in the flesh. It is so easy to speak out of the flesh. It is so easy to see other people out of the flesh. It is so easy right now to stay in the flesh. And I encourage you to read the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is the Old Testament, first five books. As they're in the wilderness and they're in circles, instead of just passing through the wilderness, you know what they choose? The flesh, complaining, grumbling, ungrateful, grumpy. They are in the flesh and they're not going to move forward. We cannot stay in the flesh right now. There's too much in the line for us to speak out of and stay in the flesh. Trusting God is the other route. And take a look at Isaiah chapter 40. Words of great hope and encouragement. Do you not know? Have you not heard? I was reading this with my kids this week. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. 
He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Trusting in the Lord is the turning point. Look what happens when we trust the Lord. God's grace is sufficient to save you, to sustain you, to strengthen you. Trust in the Lord. Don't look down right now. Look up. Don't look down. Look up. Don't be dominated by those negative thoughts. Put your mind in Isaiah right here, just what the prophet says. Keep your mind there. Study God's word. Meditate on it. Let him renew your mind. And so you get out of the flesh. Trust God. Trust Jesus. Trust the Spirit. Do you know what this weekend is? It's uh, Pentecost. Pentecost weekend. And a lot of people hear that and they're like, what is it? I didn't know. What's that? What is it? I mean, Christmas, you can't miss. There's just weeks of Christmas and we celebrate Jesus' birth. And then Easter comes in and that moves a little quicker, but the death and resurrection of Jesus at the core of our faith. But then we get to Pentecost weekend, Pentecost Sunday, and people are like, I don't even know. What, what is that? Read the book of Acts, beginning of book of Acts. This is what happens. A group of people who know they don't have the resources, run out of resources, receive Receive the Holy Spirit with a fresh wind and a fresh fire. They received our invited, loved, filled, the presence of God in this world has not been the same. I couldn't emphasize it enough how much we need the Holy Spirit right now in our personal lives, in our church, in the sound, in the nation. We need the Holy Spirit like they needed the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. And how do you be filled with the Spirit? You come hungry to God. You come surrendered, confess sins, and you receive. You just receive his love, receive his presence, receive the Holy Spirit. And God is faithful to pour out his Holy Spirit. Anyone who asks, God's presence himself, not just a principle, not just a promise, but his presence filling you up. Don't miss Pentecost. Don't miss the Holy Spirit. Let's come hungry. Let's receive from the Lord. Just receive from the Lord. Like the day of Pentecost, receive the Holy Spirit. And it leads us to the third truth. Jesus nourishes hungry people and he multiplies resources. Take a look at verse 14. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 and the two fish uh, and take those loaves and the two fish. The disciples did so. Everyone sat down. Looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people and they all ate. They were all satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, when I look at this text, I think, hmm, have them sit down in groups of 50. Groups of 50, right? No more than 50. And I'm thinking to myself, is this phase one? Is this phase two? Is this phase three? Are they in the building with 50? Are they in a house? Are they in the parking lot? Can we meet in the parking lot? Do they have masks? Do they have social distancing? I mean, there's a lot in the current situation. You can start reading in the Bible, but I never noticed that before. And I saw, wow, 50 people. I know what this gets me thinking about. Uh, it's going to be great. We can be all back together. We don't have to think about limitations of 50 and so forth. Uh, I think back then the disciples would look at us, sneak peek ahead and be like, oh, 
oh, you got megaphones? Oh, that would have been so good to have a couple megaphones that day. That was an administrative nightmare. Like you come up to like, all right, 35, 35, wait, is it 52? I forgot, oh, let's start over again. And like, how do you get these people in groups of 50? They did it, another miracle. Uh, I, this could be the text that is the proof text for church potlucks. I, I mean, this could have been the first church potluck right here, right? Let's get together in groups. If you get into the Greek, I think you'll discover that that word actually means like casseroles and jello and bars and leftovers. And so that some of that was going on. That's a joke. Uh, so I can't hear you laugh. I don't know how long to pause. God still has a plan. That's what the, the light bulb goes on. Oh, we don't go buy something. We're not out of resources. Jesus still has a plan. Jesus still has a plan today. God still has a plan in the middle of what you're going through. It's been true in the Old Testament, New Testament, and today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. You can trust him. He's got a plan. 2 Kings chapter 4 from the Old Testament. Look at this plan. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. Prophets are a big deal. They had a company of prophets. Now, she's a widow. She cried out to Elisha, who's a prophet. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. She's out of money. Someone's going to come and just take everything. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Look at that. Calm, serving. He's not in the flesh. Tell me what to do. Uh, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. That's all she's down to. She's running out of resources. They're hungry, spiritually and physically. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. In other words, take a step of faith. She's going to go around and collect jars from her neighbors. Every jar she collects will be filled with oil. That'll be so much money that the creditor can't come and take everything, can't take the kids. No, they're going to have provision for the rest of their lives. Small act of obedience leads to significant results, massive things that God wants to do. It, it's going to be a small step. You're going to be thinking, oh, it's a small thing. I mean, I can collect jars. I can't fill them all, but I can collect jars. God will have you do that and then he'll provide in amazing ways. Keep trusting him with the small acts of obedience and listening to the Lord. Same is true with the 5,000 men, 10,000 people or more, right? They're going to be faithful. They're going to be faithful. Here it is. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can and pray a whole lot. Start praying and simply start where you are. Use what you have do what you can do. God will meet you there. You don't have to know the whole story. Start where you are. Use what God's given you. Do what you can do. And as you pray, God's going to multiply. God's going to guide you. You know what we read here in, in Luke 9? That everybody ate. Everybody was satisfied. God is the provider. We're the distributor. God provides for us. We distribute generously with love. And God provides. That's the bottom line. They all ate. They're all satisfied. 12 baskets full left over. That's not a coincidence, 12. You got the 12 disciples right there. Everybody gets a take home, right? This, this is the proof text for Red Robin. There was bottomless bread, bottomless fish, and every disciple takes home fries as well. I mean, bottomless food. Here's the provision. It's not just we barely got there. It's over in abundance and Jesus has provided it. And you know, as they have their carryouts, as they have their take home, I think the disciples are saying, I like this. I like doing ministry like this. This is a lot better than freaking out about what we don't have. 
This is a lot better than grumbling and complaining. This is a lot better than our solution. This is a lot better than our limited thinking. This is a lot better than a scarcity mindset. You know, I kind of like this. You know what it feels like? It feels like the pressure's off. That's what it feels like. It feels like we're walking with Jesus. We're relying on Jesus. We're not in the flesh. We're walking by faith. We're trusting the Lord and the pressure's off. One of the signs of maturity in a walk with the Lord and depth with the Lord is that the pressure comes off. You learn reliance and the pressure comes off. One of the signs of not trusting the Lord is taking on more because it's my solutions in my way and it's pressure and it's more pressure, it's more pressure. And the more pressure we feel, we realize at the core, we're not trusting the Lord. We got some idols in here. We're not in alignment with heaven because following Jesus, I'm not saying it's easy. You might die for your faith. I'm not minimizing the cost. But in terms of all that stress that's unnecessary, all that pressure, no, there's joy and love and peace. You're full of the Spirit, and there's a huge difference. Check out Pentecost, full of the Spirit. Watch what happens. They're going to be killed, but there's joy, there's peace, there's changed lives, there's freedom, there's generosity, there's unity. God does that. He brings that when we rely on Him. Uh, the core of this story, it's not just about food. Life and the kingdom of God are not about eating and drinking, and, but instead, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Far more than food. Yes, food is multiplied, but you know what's being multiplied even more? Their love for people. Their love for the crowd is being multiplied and multiplied. And it's not about the provision and the food and their love for the crowd even. Ultimately, it's about who is Jesus. That's how Luke chapter 9 starts. Herod. Who is this? Who is Jesus? And I want to close by pointing out that as you think back to the provision, Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the nourishment. And in the Old Testament, when Elijah and that miracle and a hundred men are fed with just a little bit of food, it points to Jesus. Manna in the wilderness, it points to who Jesus is. Feeding of the 4,000, it points to who Jesus is, the bread of life. Feeding of the 5,000, it points to who Jesus is. He's the bread of heaven. Every time we take communion, it points to who Jesus is. Nourishment through his blood and his body, the forgiveness of sins, our souls satisfied. No one, no no one can satisfy your soul. Not religion, not a denomination, not just doctrine, even if it's solid doctrine, only Jesus satisfies our souls. We're hungry. We're hungry. We get hungry physically, reminds us we get hungry spiritually. And what do we learn from all this? We become aware just how hungry we are, just how many needs we have, and we see needs all around us, don't we? People around the world, people around our neighborhoods, hungry. Jesus saw people's souls, not just their stomachs. And we come to him hungry. We run out of resources all the time. No shame in that. We just run out. We're human. We're running out all the time. But we come to him. And Jesus multiplies resources. Jesus satisfies our souls. Jesus draws us closer in reliance and we're filled with the Spirit. We step out of the flesh. We look to the Savior. We look to the Savior. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and lead us right now. It's a new song. It's called Fullness. And I want you to think about Pentecost. I want you to think about being filled with God's presence. Is there anything holding you back today from putting your trust in Jesus for the first time? Realizing that you can't earn heaven, but it's grace 
a gift, an undeserved gift? Is there anything holding you back right now from being filled with the Holy Spirit and asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Is there anything back holding you back for confessing sins right now and just saying, God, I repent, I turn from my sin right now? Uh, let's look to the Lord together during the song, Fullness. Let, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the fullness of your presence, your greatness, your glory. We are in awe of you. Jesus, we read these miracles and we we get a little more of a glimpse of who you are. And you're, you're the bread of life who satisfies. Jesus, we want to turn from sin today. We want to decide to trust you. We want to drop our idols. We want to do this together. We don't want to have a small vision, discouragement, just have our own solutions. Jesus, we come to you your way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we praise you together. Amen.